back to Mark 15. If you can't see a Bible, grab one from someone or something. Don't snatch, but try and find a Bible. Go to Mark 15, which is 1022 in your books. By the way, this morning, um, it was about the importance of relevance of communion in the life of the church. And the children were in, and they drew these really interesting pictures. So if you want to have a look, they're thereafter. Hopefully, they'll go on display. Okay, so, um, shame. What has church got to do with shame? Um, right. What is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? I start these evening messages with one of those questions, don't I? Get thinking, what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened? The thing that might have brought you a sense of shame? You have a think, and I'll just drink some water quickly. Um... I remember one of my earliest memories was running up to a woman in church. I was about three, grabbing her, saying, Mummy, Mummy. And I looked up, and it wasn't my mum. That was awkward. Uh, they had the same coat, see? A um, couple of years ago, I got in what I thought was my dad's car in the passenger side, because he was parked on the side of the road. And I was like, oh, thanks for picking me up, Dad. Can we go back to Cardiff? And it, I looked, and it wasn't my dad. It was, it was <laughs> the same car, but not him. Um, the look on his face. Um, hold on, I made a list here. Um, I remember when I just passed my driving test and I was driving and I thought I saw my father's car and I started following it. Like, oh, I wonder where he's going. Maybe he's going for lunch. I'll follow him. And it was about five minutes until I realized I was in my dad's car. So I wasn't following my dad's. It was, uh, some guy had me following him quite close. Uh, for five or six minutes. That actually caused me a bit of shame. Um, yeah, I bet some of you do this. You look for a train ticket or your credit card for ages, and it's in your mouth. Have you ever done that one? You hold it in your mouth? You haven't? Oh, okay. <laughs> right, I don't believe that you haven't. It go, you're like this. You don't do that? All right. All right, you're better than me. All right, now, cranking it up a notch to more serious ones, have you had moments of shame that you wish no one or hope no one will ever know about? We've all got them, haven't we? Do you remember that song? Um, do you remember the group, the Fugees, in the 90s? And uh, they sang, um, I felt he found my letters and read each one out loud. Have you ever had that sense of shame where you're like, I could just die in this room. I, they know things about me that I don't want them to know, or I hope they don't know things about me like that. Um, I've had them as a Christian particularly. I felt that after becoming a Christian, when I sin, I feel shame more because now I'm like carrying his name. I do find that as a Christian, that I can cause shame to the Lord. I don't know if you do at home or in work or in church. Like we can sometimes get caught out and it's like our oh, sense of shame. When we're alone, we can sometimes behave in ways that if other people knew, we would feel a sense of shame. Um, conviction of sin, by the way, I think is actually a gift from God. 
because he shows us our wrong in order to help us deal with it so we don't have to carry it and he can change us for the good. So if the Lord does ever convict you, by the way, don't run from it. It's actually a really, it's a grace of God that we can still feel a sense of shame. Next question, have you ever been made to feel ashamed by other people unfairly? Have you gone through that nasty experience? So, how does Jesus and church help us with this area of shame? Whether it's self-inflicted, or we've been excluded by people unfairly, or it's private shame that we could never talk to about anyone. All right, and we've got Mark 15 in front of us. Now, wow, here it comes. Here's the weather. Mark's approach to this crucifixion of Jesus and shame is really interesting. All right, which gospel writer would you not want to make a movie about Jesus' death? I reckon it was Mark, because he's not very dramatic. Right, I don't mind that, actually. I like documentaries which are factual, and I, do, I don't like watching documentaries and then they reenact stuff, because... It always looks a bit cheesy to me. I would just rather a guy speaking facts to the screen about the actual event. But not everybody functions like me. They would find that boring. But Mark, he gets to this pinnacle of the crucifixion of Jesus. And just have a look at verse 24 again. This is classic Mark. And they crucified him. And they divided up his clothes and they gambled. And you're like, hang on a minute, Mark. Is that it? Like, what about what he went through? The pain, the embarrassment? Mark's like, yeah, they crucified him. It's like matter-of-fact Mark, isn't it? Yeah, they crucified him. You give me some more. No, they, they crucified him. Why is it like that? I think I got some answers. I think... It's because Mark doesn't want us to feel sorry for the physical abuse Jesus went through. Right? I don't think he's bothering with that stuff. By the way, the fact of the crucifixion is this. It was so brutal that it was a, seen as a luxury if you had your legs broken so you could die quicker. Like you could go into the brutality for page after page. Did you know this? That some governors in Rome and some high-up soldiers in the Roman Empire lobbied against the crucifixion because it was so brutal. Did you know that? It's like documented a lot. It was a nasty, barbaric, hideous way, and Mark's like, no, no, they crucified him. Did you watch Mel Gibson's film about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago now, wasn't it? Maybe more. Yeah, 2004 or something, wasn't it? The Passion. The Passion of the Christ. Loads of people left the cinema feeling really sorry for Jesus because they had just spent two hours watching a guy get absolutely brutally battered. Have you seen it? But I'm not advising you do because it's really graphic. Guess who didn't direct that? Mark. It was Mel Gibson, wasn't it? Mark's like, no, they crucified him. Gibbo's like, we need to go into graphic detail for two hours. And um, it was brutal. 
Um, all right, why? The point here is not to feel sorry for Jesus. There's another theme that Mark picks up on, which we're to grasp tonight. Not the physical beating. Listen to this, actually. This is Jesus in Luke 23. Don't cry for me. Weep for yourselves and the judgment which will come upon you. Don't cry for me. Think about yourselves. So for Mark, what's the theme with sensitive Mark? The theme is shame. All right? The shame and the ridicule is what Mark picks out for us tonight. The rejection that Jesus suffered. So, going through the list of things that Alwyn read, there are soldiers there in the praetorium. Now, a praetorium would hold about 600 of them, so there's a mob out against Jesus. What are they doing? They're going like this. Hail your highness! Ah, aren't they? Hail the king! They stick a reed in his hand to mock his kingship. They beat him, they spit on him, and there's irreverent kneeling. All this is going on. Um, and it's not the type of bullying where you saw Jesus would roll his eyes and he's like, no, oh, you guys, this banter. Actually, he's beaten half to death, isn't he? This is brutal. Uh, Mark doesn't really... He takes us away from that a bit. He tells us that it's happening in Golgotha. That's a Latin term, which means the scalp or the bald head. Let's take this king up there to expose him. What do they offer him? You all know that. Now, I don't know this, and I hope it's not true of you, but it's a serious question. I hope you've never been stripped naked in front of a mob. The Jews gave him this loincloth for a false sense of modesty. Now imagine looking down naked in front of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Even some of your family are there. And you see that they're gambling for your only worldly possessions left. How would you feel? This is where the text takes us tonight. One of the hot topics I'm going to speak on is sexual abuse. I believe Jesus experienced that here, that he knows what it's like to be stripped naked and mocked. He is a victim of abuse. I just want to reread verse 29. Um, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it back up in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Now these people, imagine it, are just passing by. And they're like, hey, what's going on there? Just, just join in the mockery on their merry way. Because he's nothing to them. The Greek word there, by the way, is blasphemo, which are basically four-letter swear words that they were hurling at Jesus, words that we can't repeat here, four-letter words, you this, 2020 would be you piece of this, those type of words. That's the language used that Mark draws attention to. <laughs> you said you were going to tear down the temple and raise it back up. Start here, save yourself. 
These nobodies on their way home to have tea or whatever just decide to hurl abuse at God on their way home. What an afternoon. Then you get verse 32. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, uh, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So there's the chief priests. They're like, ah, oh, he healed the sick, but he can't heal himself. Go and get them now. Look, he can't even heal himself. Then the rapists and the murderers each side of him, they join in. Convicted criminals. Hey, Mr. Messiah, send some salvation our way. And that's Mark's, that's Mark's account. And that is remarkable rejection. On top of that, you also have Peter, his best friend, denying him. You have the friends he asked to watch and pray with him, and they couldn't, and they didn't, and they fell asleep. You've got Judas, who turned him over for money. You've got the lies in court against him. You've got Pilate, who should be standing up for him, but buckles it under the pressure. And you've got the crowds ganging up on him. And just listen to this one. Why is this in the chapter before in Mark 14? Listen to this one. Mark 14, verse 51. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. What's all that? Why is that there? Basically, um, Mark is another illustration of just someone completely abandoning Jesus. I'd rather be naked running through the woods away from Jesus, because they've seized him now, than being seen anywhere near him. I would choose my own nakedness, legging it, rather than be associated with him at night. So I got a question. Um, has there ever been a man treated so much less than he deserves? In the history of the world, has there ever been a man treated so much less than he deserves by people so utterly underneath him? Has there? That shame that he went through by people who were underneath him. Not too long ago, my dignity was hurt um, poor old Owen. There was a guy who um, like, tried to make fun of me a bit, and he sent me, um, he got my number, and um, he sent me illicit pornographic videos on my phone. He, he sent it to me in a message. And I was like, can you not do that? Because my wife and kids uh, see this as well. But he sent a ton more, and the reason he did it was, because I'm a pastor, and um, he wanted the status telling his mates in the pub that night, look what I sent Owen today, because I was the minister in the valley and everybody knew who I was. That's why he did it. But what struck me was, my job or calling now as a pastor, it's completely plummeted now, basically to a thing of mockery. Going back a few decades, a pastor was quite well respected in that, isn't it? But where I was, and even in this area, Basically, my job is a joke now to people. I basically am selling a lie about the tooth fairy in the sky and conning you all along the way. That's basically the common view of what a pastor is. Like some people might like my company, but I have seen parents grab their kids and cross the road rather than walk past me just in case I might invite them to our kids club. 
It's like, it's a joke. And I was like, oh, poor me. Poor old Owen. My dignity is hurt, Rita. Can you comfort me in some way? Shut up, Owen. <laughs> no, she's not like that. I portray Rita really badly from the pulpit. I need to watch that. But it's like I've befriended people and pastored them, and people have walked away from me. People have accused me of things, talked about me negatively, people I've given a lot of time to. But here's the thing. It's me. Like, I'm not above anyone. If anything, I'm beneath those people, the amount of sin that I commit. I'll, I will never grow tired of being in wonder that Jesus bothered to save me. But him, he was dignified. He was honorable. And he was ridiculed by people who should be his subject, but they're acting like they're his master. And remember, though, I don't think Mark wants us to feel sorry because he would have gored it up. I think what Mark wants us to grasp tonight is this. Yes, he bore our sin, but he also bore shame. He experienced shame. The living God knows shame. That's what I'm going to tell people in the addiction to pornography. It's a shameful thing. He gets it. He's experienced the sense of shame, shame that we've inflicted on others, shame that we've inflicted, shame that we've put onto God, onto Jesus. He gets it. He's been there. He experiences it all. There's also people we're going to meet in the life of church, and I certainly have, that experience something called misplaced shame. Misplaced shame. Shame that they shouldn't feel, but they do, and they don't know what to do about it or who to talk to about it. I've met a lot of people abused in my pastorate. Do you know what loads of them feel? They feel shame, like it was their fault they've been abused. Do you know who they need to know about? Jesus and his love for them. That's why this church needs to be doing good works in this area. Lots of community works. Others feel shame because they've become Christians and they're the only one in their family and they go home and they're put to shame. Other people feel shame because they didn't do as well as their friends in school. We're going to have children here growing up. We need to know how to talk to them about this misplaced sense of shame that they do not get their sense of value from academic study. Other people feel shame because they don't know the Bible as well as someone else. People are being left out by friends. They feel shame. They feel worthless. And what's really interesting is I'm getting back into Disney after the 25-year break because i got boys. And the Disney storylines that they're feeding now are so different to when I was. The little hints that Disney films are putting in now, which are becoming a complete collide with Christian morals and ethics, even in the last 20 years, it's done a complete U-turn. So my boys are going to grow up being shamed for standing for Christian ethics and values which are going head-on with Disney, TV, music videos, adverts, and they got to go to school going, yeah, actually, I follow Jesus, and he says that behavior is wrong. 
What are they going to be made to feel? Shame. And they need to know about Jesus and how precious they are to him. And they need a church which gathers them up and says, yeah, we're in it with you. Because it will start with mockery. And the more the government goes anti-Christian, we'll be jailed. And in some countries, you even get killed for standing for Jesus. So, tonight, we go home thinking of one who was crucified outside of the city. Not even in the city. You're going out there to that green hill far away outside the city walls. Where he gave his life for who? Nobodies. Nobody's in the eyes of the world. People who've been forgotten, stripped, not popular, not fitting in with the current climate. And he saves them. And it's not because of the level of brutality he suffered. It's because he went through shame. And now he can relate to them and speak to them and call them to himself. He undergoes that for us. And he's called the sympathetic high priest now. I do not want anyone going home thinking that they can't tell Jesus about something tonight as they lay their head on their pillow. It's just not the living God. The living God can say, yep, I know what that feeling is like. Jesus says, I'm giving myself to the world who mistreats me. Still giving myself to them. Hebrews 12, as we wrap all this up, listen to this. Therefore, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw everything that hinders us, everything that entangles us, and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus despised the shame. He went through it. He faced it. He hated it. He was being shamed. Why? The text says, for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that he went through it for? To purchase Park End Church. To bring them to himself. This is the greatest message in the history of of planet earth and I want to close with this how are you going to face Monday morning or this week if you're going through times of shame well we remember this as we go home the Christian story does not stop at the crucifixion because actually what we learn from this event is as the story goes on though he looked weak he was conquering as they mocked, they were actually speaking truth because he was the king of the Jews and he was the temple and he did rise again and rebuild the temple in three days. He is the Christ. But we remember this. He actually had to be humiliated to get to that place of exaltation and victory. And guess what? In the life of the church, we so often find this to get the exaltation and joy, he might well allow us to go through shame and humiliation. He just might. And you might be tempted to ask this week, do I have to face this issue? Do I have to face it with myself or with my partner 
or with my college, or with my work, or in my church, or my children, or my marriage, must I? What's the answer? Yep, look to Jesus. Look what he did. To the way up might well be first to go down. And I love it. I read the Bible now knowing that the church always ends up exalted. Just cling on. So I read Pharaoh. And I'm like, go on then. Refuse to let the Israelites go. We'll see what happens. Remember that? Go on then. Throw Daniel and his friends in the lion's den. That's how I read the Bible now. I wonder what's going to happen. I know the end. See how it works out. Go on, cockerel. Crow three times and Peter's going to do his thing. But we'll see what Peter's like in Acts because he proper gets sorted out and leads the church. Go on, Joseph. Go to prison for a while. We know the end. We know it. And we believe it. But remember, it was tough for Joseph while he was in that prison. And they did have to face real flames and real lions. And they didn't know the immediate outcome. So we're called to trust Jesus this week with every issue in our lives, knowing the end. For his name's sake, amen. We're going to close.